We've been in a series, and we've been taking our time with a series that we've entitled called Win the Day. Win the Day. And today we're going to be wrapping it up. We're going, to be, we're going to be really kind of putting a nice bow on this and learning a final point. Uh, the, the promise behind this series has really been to really just convey the idea that tomorrow never begins tomorrow, friends. Tomorrow really depends on today. Would you agree with that? And so that should really challenge us to think how we spend today, what we're doing today. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, is a very uh, foundational scripture that we've been using. We're going to go back to that. Starting at verse 15, it says, so be very what? Careful. Careful how you live, not being like those who live with no understanding. Right? But it goes on to tell us that we're to live honorably with true wisdom. Right? Why? Because we are living in evil times. So start getting a picture of this. The scripture is telling us the way we live requires wisdom, but it's not just any wisdom. This isn't book smarts. This is the wisdom of God. And it tells us why. Because we're living in times where things are getting from bad to worse. Right? We have an enemy that's not just going to sit back and watch you walk in your blessing. Right? He wants to destroy tomorrow by getting at you today. And so we need wisdom. But here's the kicker. Here's what this wisdom is supposed to do. It, it tells us that we're to take full advantage every day as you spend your life for his purposes. And so what I want us to think about is this, that notice that the scripture says, and let's leave that, that portion of scripture. Notice that the scripture says that we're to take full advantage of every day. In other words, we're supposed to do something with every day. But it tells us how. It tells us that every day we're to spend our lives. Spend our lives for his purposes. And friend, whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you're walking with Jesus or not, whether you're walking at the pinnacle of a walk and really thriving in your journey with Jesus, or you're struggling through that process, the truth is this, that we are all paying for tomorrow because we're spending it today. I want you to think about this. How you live today is a payment on tomorrow. It is a payment. We are making a payment on tomorrow. So the question is, how are you spending today? What are we doing with today? This is why the scripture teaches us to spend our lives for God's purposes. You see, there's a difference between living for God's purposes and living for our purposes, right? And the best way to win the day is by really considering how am I spending today. Now, for some of us, here's how we spend today. We spend it like a credit card. And here's what we do with our lives when we live for our purposes. We're paying for today with what's to come tomorrow. Hear what I'm saying. We're living for the moment. We're living for right now. I want it. I, I need it. It's mine. It's my life. It's for my joy. It's for my purposes. It's for my plan. And so we live on credit. We borrow from tomorrow. We don't think about tomorrow. We don't care about tomorrow. Husband, you're not thinking about your wife tomorrow. You're not thinking about your children tomorrow. You're not thinking about what's to come tomorrow because you're just focused on what I get today. What fills me? We approach life on this, on this, on, from this vantage point where it's about me, my poor, and no more. It's all about me, me, me. And we're living like if we're borrowing from tomorrow for today. Here's the thing about living for your own purposes. 
in, in, in relation to living like if we're pulling from a credit card. It costs more later on. It costs, it costs more later on. Now, living for God's purposes is different. Because living for God's purposes is like making an investment into tomorrow. Right? We're paying for tomorrow by doing what's necessary today. Hear where I'm coming from with this. How you're living today is either an investment into tomorrow or you're stealing from tomorrow. And if we're going to invest correctly, friends, the scripture tells us that we need God's wisdom. We need God's wisdom. And so the best way to, live, to win the day is by living in such a way that it creates purpose for tomorrow, which goes beyond our current lives today. You know what that is? That's called legacy. That's called leaving a legacy. That's living with tomorrow in mind beyond your benefits tomorrow. That's thinking not just, that's not just thinking about your children. That's thinking about your community. That's thinking about your journey with Jesus. That's thinking about how the dash between your beginning date and your end date is going to impact the world around you. We're talking about legacy. So today I want to invite you to lean in with me into the scriptures. Because we're going to look at the topic of investing in a lasting legacy. Investing in a lasting legacy. Friend, if all you do is live for yourself, what difference is that going to make in the big picture? What difference does it make? It doesn't. It's all about you. What, what, what mark will this leave in this world? It's for that reason that Matthew 6, starting at verse 19, these are the words of Jesus say to us, don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually does what? It rusts. What else does it do? It decays and it loses its value. It depreciates. It does not appreciate. Here's what Jesus is telling us. If you just sow into you, it'll always waste away. It'll always waste away. But he goes on to say in verse 20, instead, stockpile. <laughs> Load up heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. Verse 21 is the kicker. It says, for your heart will always pursue what you esteem as your treasure. I want, I want us to really think about, let's think about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that either way, we're stockpiling for life. The question is, will it last? Will it last? And this teaches us a very important point. It teaches us that life's best investments are heavenly. Now, let me just, let me just, let me just address the elephant in the room, because some of us are thinking, does that mean that I'm just supposed to hold on to the sweet by and by? No, friends. That means that eternity started the day you accepted Jesus, which means those benefits begin from here until then. Come on. Yes. 
Jesus said, I came to give you life more abundantly. But here's the thing. There is a thief that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy in today so that you can rob yourself of tomorrow. See, God wants you and I to abound in this life. I'm not just, look, I'm not talking about material things. Material too. God will increase you. But those blessings are not for your benefit alone. They are to be a blessing. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? And so even what we receive is to be blessed and be a blessing. So God wants us to abound in this life, but his true aim is not only to give us treasure in heaven. It's also to give us heavenly treasure here so that it can begin to impact the world around us. See, we're talking about legacy. Once you stop living with a limited focus on the temporal gains in this earthly life, here's what I'm talking about. We're driven by people. We're driven by money. We're driven by success. We're driven by possession. We're driven by the Joneses. That's all my life is about. Friend, that will waste away. I'll prove it to you. Because what was once new and shiny in your eyes grows old real quick. It's no longer good after you got it. No matter how much money you get, you always end up wanting more. Which says something about what we aspire to from the, from the physical standpoint. It does not last. It is not treasure. It's not. It'll tribulate your life if that's how you're driven. And so a focus on money, people, possessions, pleasures, problems, it never produces anything. Right? Because those things come, but they also go. In other words, that's a bad investment. That's a bad investment. You are stealing from tomorrow by just living for today. You're stealing. And here's the thing. Our lives are not our own, so who are you stealing from? Right? On the other hand, heaven's treasures never lose value because they are eternal. They're not just for the life after death and, uh, situation. Not just for when Christ's second coming comes. They are also for this life as well. It's for that reason that Jesus tells us in Matthew 6. We didn't put this up. It's just something that I jotted for myself down. I believe it starts at verse 31. Jesus says, hey, if you're going to live this life, he says, seek the kingdom of God first. And all its righteousness. In other words, follow the ways of God's kingdom. And watch what he promises. He says, and all these things will be added to you. All these things that you're worried about. Then he goes on to say this. Why are you worrying about tomorrow? He says, sufficient are the cares of this day. Here's what he's saying. You're so focused on where you want to get to tomorrow that you're missing what's possible today. So focus on what happens today. Focus on what I want to teach you today. Focus on what I'm telling you is right to do today because if you don't do today, tomorrow will be a tragedy. See, when we live with hope and trust in God's kingdom, we don't have to worry about tomorrow because it's been taken care of. It's a bonus. Now, if, if we're going to shift our thinking 
then here's what we just saw when we looked uh, just a couple of minutes ago at Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 21. What we saw is that it requires an adjustment of the heart. An adjustment of the heart. I remember years ago, we, uh, Pastor Nett loves to go on long drives, but she loves to go on long drives because she's the passenger. And I'm the driver. I highly dislike long drives. I highly dislike long drives. I remember one time, you know, things were tighter back then. You know, uh, we were just getting started. But I remember one year we were going down to Florida. Uh, we were driving. And because things were tighter, we didn't, we didn't really have it to stop at like a hotel or something. So that meant we were driving 22 hours straight. Right? Kids in the, in the back, right? Back then it was portable DVD players that were like this thick. Right, and all that, and so we would pack up and pack up some snacks and pack up some fruit, and we would jump in the car, and everybody was happy except me. <laughs> right? I was miserable. But I remember this one time we were driving and we were going through DC, and we didn't have Waze and we didn't have Google Maps and we didn't have, you know, uh, Map Quest, and there was none of that on the phones. Right? There were flip phones back then, right? And so some of you are like, Flip? What's a flip phone, right? <laughs> I get it. It's before your time. That wasn't too long ago. So we're, we're in the car, and, but we had a Garmin, right? He's, I know some of you are like, what's a Garmin? It's, it's, it's a GPS system that you would... So anyway, we were in the Garmin, and, and, and this Garmin, right, we're driving through this area, and all of a sudden it takes us through all these different roads, and, and we end up getting lost. And I wanted to punch this thing if it had a face because it kept going recalculating, 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 recalculating. Shut up! Recalculating, recalculating. What's my point with that? Right, we're having some fun with it, but here's, here's where I want to get to. God's purposes are true and they remain in place. And oftentimes, when it comes to living for a lasting legacy, winning today so that tomorrow truly counts, we have to keep this in mind, that when it comes to the heart, we have to recalculate. we got to really take a look at what's happening there. Where is this leading me? And if it's not for God's purposes, then we must recalculate where we stand and get a clear view of what God is calling us to. Amen? Amen? So for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to give you three things, just three simple points to living for a lasting legacy. And, and I want to just jump right in because, uh, well, actually, you know what? I'll just take you real quick to Luke chapter 12. It records a time when Jesus was teaching thousands of people, right? He's teaching thousands of people, and as he's teaching them, um, this guy gets up in the middle of his teaching. Now, get this. Jesus is teaching them the ways of God's kingdom. He's giving them keys for life. And here's what ends up happening. This guy gets up in the middle of Jesus' teaching, and he says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me a part of the inheritance. Tell my brother to give me what's mine. And Jesus, who was interrupted, interrupts this man's life by his response. 
Scripture says in Luke 12, starting at verse 16, that Jesus told them a parable. Very important. A parable is a kingdom principle. It's spiritual law translated in a very simple way that we might begin to apply it on earthly terms. So it's a kingdom principle simplified so that we can capture it in our minds that it might begin to work in our hearts so that we can begin to apply it and the kingdom of God would actually be coming to your life. Right? It would work. And so he tells them a parable and it says that the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. An abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, if you haven't figured it out already, the rich man here, right, the man with all these crops, is you and I. You might say, well, I don't have much crop. I don't have much in life. Oh, no, you have everything you need in life. The scripture says that he has blessed you and I with every spiritual blessing. The scripture says that he has given us everything that we need, that we require is what it says, for life and godliness. So we are well equipped. The question is, what are we doing with it? And so this guy thinks to himself, I don't have a place anywhere to store my crops. And then he said to himself, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. And there I'm going to stir my surplus grain. I'm going for more and I'm going to make room for more. Watch what goes on to happen in verse 20. It says, oh, verse 19, I'm sorry. And, he, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20. It says, but God said to him, you fool. You fool. You are deceived. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared? Watch this. For yourself. Verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. You know what Jesus is telling us here? He's saying, you could stockpile all you want in life. You could gain great possessions, and you're not rich at all. You are poor. That's poverty. Why? Because poverty is really all about just me. It's, it's about where I'm at. It's just about me, my four, and no more. Jesus calls that poor. See, poverty is not a situation. Poverty is a mindset. It is a belief system. And that man is a poor man, is what Jesus said. Jesus was giving this man the keys to God's kingdom, but his heart was set on a little castle. Just what what's mine. He was following Jesus for his own purposes and desires. He's in this crowd, following Jesus, seeking keys to the kingdom. And he goes, this kingdom is supposed to just work for me. Just for me. This man had a wrong understanding of what value is in life. 
he thought he was lacking value because he lacked some of the money that was left to his brother, some of the possessions left to his brother. And this parable is a lesson for us all. Because notice that Jesus uses the example of a rich man who had a great harvest. In other words, he's speaking to each and every one of us. And according to Jesus, the rich man's value was not determined by what he accumulated. It was determined by what he, how he spent his most valuable possession. Listen to this. How he spent his life. That is the greatest investment, the asset that we have, the life that God has given us. And so we see something here that life's value is not determined by what we get. It's determined by how we live daily. Question, how are you spending your life? We got to really think about that. How am I spending my life? Am I paying for today by stealing from tomorrow? Am I living selfishly? Am I disregarding God's ways? Am I just after what I want? What I think I need? Am I just so self-centered and focused on my desires? Friend, Ask yourself this question and answer it honestly. Where will that lead you? What harvest can you expect? You know what Jesus called the person who thinks that way? You fool. Not because you're any less, no. Because he's addressing the matter of the heart. There's foolishness in the heart. We are deceived to believe that we can live for ourselves and somehow expect better tomorrow. We've destroyed tomorrow already if that's how we're living today. And so I want to give you three things to consider, but also to apply to our lives. The first point I want to give us is that the best investment for a Christian is Christ. Let me expand that. The best in investment for anyone is Christ. Let me tell you why I say that. Matthew 16, 25 through 26, Jesus goes on to say, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. Now, here's the reality. All investments come at a cost. They're not cheap. But to many, investing their life as a follower of Christ is considered the costliest of investments. Because for many people, to follow Christ is considered a poor investment because it's the investment that invites us to lose something. To lose something. But I want you to consider that what we have to lose as followers of Christ is not gain. You know why? Because it leads us to selfishness. It leads us to selfish ways. 
it steals from tomorrow by encouraging us to pursue just what we want today. Now, here's the reality. Nobody wants to lose in life. When it comes to investing into anything, none of us want to lose. We just want gain. But friend, here's the good news. You're not losing anything when you give it up for Christ. The term, whoever loses their life, in the original language, refers to one who puts himself out of the way. But he puts himself out of the way to make way for a better one. What's my point with that? My point with that is that this is not, you, you, don't, you don't lose anything when you move yourself out of the way for the life of Christ. Listen, when we get out of the way, when we get our own ideas, our own agendas, agendas, our own purposes out of the way, here's the reality. We're making way for a better life. Amen. We're making a way for the life of Christ. Listen closely. His ways are better than yours. Tell me when loving was... Tell me, tell me when acting in love is a bad investment. Oh, now I know some of y'all, that, but that doesn't always work because you just focus on what you get back. And that's not love at all. That's selfishness. I mean, come on now, let's really talk about it. Right? When has loving ever been a bad investment? When has forgiveness that frees you ever been a bad investment? When has doing what's right ever been a bad investment? You may lose in the short term, but in the long run, you will always end up winning. God's ways are better than ours. And so, Galatians 6, 7 through 8 gives us some indication on how we should be investing. How we should be investing. Starting at verse 7, I'm reading from the message version. It says, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. Watch this. What a a person plants, he will harvest. Whatever you put in, you will get out, friend. I said this on Wednesday during our communion service and worship service. I made this point. You can't pray your way into a harvest if you're not planting the seeds. You can't read your way through the Bible into a harvest if you're not planting the seeds. In other words, if we are not doing what the scripture says, we're not sowing seed. So you can call yourself a Christian all you want. You could hoot and holler and scream and talk a good one and act a good one. But at the end of the day, if we're not sowing seed, spiritual seed, it's a harvest. That's why the scripture tells us, You can't make a fool of God. What you plant, you will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. Verse 8. And he'll have to show for his life, and all he'll and he'll have to show for his life is and all he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response 
to God. Letting God's spirit do the growth work in him. Harvest a crop of real life. Eternal life. Listen to what the scripture is telling us. Listen to what God is telling us. When we live for ourselves, it's very much like sowing seeds for weeds. You know what weeds do? Weeds choke out the life of everything around it. So let me ask you this, sir. Let me ask you this, ma'am. Oh, yeah, you, you, it's your way or no way. Right, young person? Yeah, you got what you want. Your parents are wrapped around your finger. You scream and you holler and your parents yield to you. But let me ask you this. What's the harvest that you're getting? Is there peace in your home? Is there true love in your marriage? Are, are you seeing the fruit of love at work in all you do? Are you truly prospering, not just physically, not just materialistically, but are you prospering in joy? Are you prospering in peace? Right? Are you prospering internally? Are you, are you really full for life? Because you see, friend, the person who sows to themselves sows weeds. And you may, you'll get what you want, but it'll suck you dry. It'll kill your fruit. The scripture says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And that there's no law, there's nothing that can override that because it's the, it's the fruit of the Spirit of God. But if we're not sowing to the Spirit, according to what we're reading here, we will never reap from the Spirit. What we will reap is weeds. The next point I'm going to leave you with here for reflection and application is that we should invest ourselves into someone. Invest yourself into someone. You know, when it comes to investments, we're seeking investments that pay off with longevity. Right? We, we want to sow knowing that in the long term, this is going to pay off. The question is, what's worth sowing into for the long term. What's an investment in life that we can make that is for the long term, that has longevity? Is it the stock market? Last time I checked, you can't depend on that. Is it real estate? Well, you know, the experts say that real estate is one of the most solid investments that you can make that comes and it goes, right? Is it in a business? Is it in a bank account? Is it in a money market account? Is it diversifying your portfolio? Is it putting away a little bit here and putting away a little bit there, investing a little bit here, investing a little bit there? I would say to you, no, because all those things eventually fade. But there's one thing that has longevity, and it's into eternity, and that's people. That's people. You might say, I don't know how you got that one. Let me tell you, my friends, that these shells, the Bible says that outwardly we waste away, but inwardly we are renewed day by day. See, this right here, this will, this will cease. 
This will die. It will either die or it will go with Jesus. It will be transformed at the coming of Jesus. But either way, this, this fades. But there's one thing that does not fade. It's who you really are. It's your spirit. It's the new you. It's the real you. It's the deepest part of you. And so the only resource in life that has longevity comes in the form of people because people are made in the image of God and people have been redeemed. Jesus paid a price for people to get back to their original state. Now, I get it. Some of us may not want to invest in some people because it involves risk. <laughs> but that risk is worth it, friend. It is worth it. It reminds me of a time where Jesus took a great risk on a person. We're not going to read the story, but it will, we will allude to it. But I'll give you the, the backdrop of, of what happened. Jesus shows up in a region called Samaria. And it's very important to note that John 4 records that Jesus had to go through Samaria. In other words, he was convinced. He had made up his mind. I have to go this way. And if you follow where he was going, he actually went out of his way. So he went out of his way to, make, to, to, to be at this place of meeting, this appointment. And when he gets there, the disciples go into the town to go get some food, and Jesus is left alone, and a woman shows up. And this woman shows up to get water at a well. But the thing about it is she's alone, and the reason why she's alone is because she purposely went at a time when nobody, no other women would be there to draw water. You see, back in those times, for women to draw water, they went in the cool of the day, which mean, meant the earlier times in the day. And so this woman shows up there, and we learn very quickly why she wanted to be alone. You see, this woman was with a man whom she called her husband, but he was not her husband. This woman had a history of broken relationships. She had gone through difficulties, and she was most likely living with a lot of shame. Wanted to be left alone, wanted to be unseen, wanted to just exist by herself and, and in, this, in this situation with this relationship that was no good for her. And Jesus is there and he introduces himself to her by asking her for some water. And this woman is shocked because you see, Jesus wasn't just taking a risk on her, he was taking a risk societally. Because Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. And men did not, would not relate to women in that way, in a private manner like that, especially if they weren't their wife, in public. And so she says, you're coming to me? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. And the scripture says that Jesus said to her, if you knew who it is who's speaking to you, you'd be asking me for water. It opens up a conversation. And Jesus begins to minister to this woman, and he speaks truth to her. He gets right to the heart of what's going on to dig a little bit deeper. He says, this man that you say is your husband isn't even your husband. Matter of fact, you've had five husbands. And this relationship ain't working for you. Now to some that might sound like he was condemning her. He wasn't. That was truth operating in love because he was digging at the surface to help her see her heart. Well, the scripture says that this woman has an encounter with Jesus and she leaves overjoyed. She's a changed woman, and she goes back to Samaria. And listen to what happens in John chapter 4, verses 39 through 41. It says that many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Listen to what she says. He told me everything I ever did. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his many words, many more became believers. 
there was a life-transforming experience that took place amongst many because Jesus invested in someone that nobody else would. You know, oftentimes we overlook people based on their appearance, based on their circumstances, based on their difficulties. And what we do is we count people out as an unworthy investment. But let me remind you, friend, Jesus died for them too. They are a worthy investment. They are a worthy investment. See, God's not asking us to change people. That's, that's his job. But he is asking us to invest into people. To take the time to invest into people. Notice that Jesus did not get mad with this woman. He didn't even condemn her. According to the law, he could have had her stoned right then and there. But he did none of the sort. Why? Because he wisely knew that he could not expect a return where there had not been an investment made. No one had invested into this woman. And so Jesus said, I'll make an investment. And that investment paid off. It paid off to such an extent that it didn't just change her life, it changed the lives of many. Friends, how should we invest into people? Well, let me, let, me say, let me put it to you this way. Let me just give you a couple of things. Number one, invest love. The Bible says that love holds no record of wrongs. That love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't excuse them. It goes over them to get at, to the person. It removes the hurdle. Right? So we should love people. We should speak truth. Not in the condemning way, but truth is freedom. Jesus did that. We should invest time. We should invest encouragement. Listen, if you've got nothing good to say, the best thing to do is not say anything at all. If it ain't encouragement, it's discouragement. Right? And then we should also invest vision for life and divine purpose. That's what Jesus did with this woman. He gave her a different perspective for life. Those investments, friends, lead to eternal returns. Not just in our lives, but in the lives of others. Let me ask you a question. Who are you investing yourself into? Who are you taking the time to invest into? Because the reason why you're here is because somebody invested into you. See, investments work. But they don't just work for us. They work for others. So we should be making that effort. The last point I want to leave you with here as we close is that we should invest into God's kingdom. Here we go. We're going to take another offering. No, we are not. No, we are not. This is God's house. God takes care of his house. One day, Jesus asked his disciples who people said that he was. Hey, guys, who, who do people say that I am? What do they, who, who do they think I am? And Scripture says that the disciples said, well, some people say that you're Elisha, reincarnated. Others say that you're John the Baptist, brought back to life. And then Jesus gets up close and personal with the disciples, and he says, no, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say? Who do you believe I am? It goes real silent. 
All of a sudden, Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the living Son of God. And the scripture says that at that moment, Jesus responds to Peter by saying this in Matthew 16, starting at verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Listen to this. And I tell you that you are Peter. Now his name is Peter. But here's what he's saying. The name Peter means is the Greek word petros, which means rock, solid foundation. And he says, you've been called Peter, but I'm telling you that there's a rock you stand on, Peter. And he says, you are Peter, and on this rock, not on you, Peter, but on the rock that you stand on, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not prevail against it. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, why is this such an important point? And how does this relate to investing into God's kingdom? Because when Jesus says, I will build up my church, here's what he's saying according to the original language. I will build up to establish it so that it grows. You know what we're seeing here? We're seeing where Jesus has made his investments. And why is that so important? Because if Christ Almighty invested into what today is known as the church, and the church is not a building, friends, the, this is the first time that this word is used, that the word church comes up in the Bible. And it is the Greek word ekklesia. And ekklesia refers to a body established by the emperor. And this body in those days was known as the senate. And what the Senate would do is they would take the mind and the heart of the emperor and they would translate it into law so that it could carry out in through the entire region, the entire empire. What am I saying to you? Jesus is saying, I will build up my people. I will invest into my church so that they can go into every single place. They can go throughout all the earth and they can carry out this truth, this kingdom. I'm giving them the keys. They are to unlock doors so that I can infuse life wherever they go. Friends, if Jesus invested into the church by giving his life and rising again, what makes us think that we're not called to be vested partners in this process? I can tell you right now that every one of us makes investments. Man, I don't even know what a 401k is. That's not what I'm talking about. Let me tell you how you know what you're invested in in life. Look at your bank account. Look at your calendar. And look at the people you keep around you. Look at those three. And it'll tell you. Because where you spend your time, where you spend your finances, and where you spend your life in relationship is very telling of where you are invested. Here's the question. Will you become invested in the kingdom of God? 
Listen, in the kingdom of God, it's like a hospital room, man. There's, there's, there's a lot going on there, man. There's people who can help, but there's also people that are hurting. It's like an emergency room. You've got a little bit of everything going on. But here's the thing. The goal of the emergency room is not to leave you hurting. It's to help us all heal. And so let me ask you this question. How will you invest into a lasting legacy if you won't even invest into the lasting thing that Jesus has established called the church? How will you invest your time? How will you invest your resources? How will you invest your relationships? Because you are a solution for someone sitting right here. You are a resource for somebody that will walk through these doors. And it doesn't just stay within this place. No, this goes into the entire world. In the next couple of weeks, I'm, we're going to be doing something. We're going to take a night. We'll be announcing it in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be doing something that we're calling a legacy night. And what I want to do is share with you our next steps. What's coming soon? What's coming there's stuff happening, and I don't, don't want to say anything right now because it's still in process. We're still evaluating things, but we're going somewhere with this. And here's what it requires in God's kingdom. It requires an investment of time. Oh, I give some time. Let me ask you something. Do you give to the point where it's sacrifice? I'm not talking about sacrificing your marriage, sacrificing your career, but I am talking about going beyond what's comfortable. It's going to require sacrifice of time. It's going to require sacrifice of finances. It's going to require sacrifice in terms of relationships. We got to relate to one. We got to work together. And I'm telling you right now that the best way to establish a lasting legacy is to invest where Jesus invested himself. It's in people, it's in his church, it's in getting to know him and growing. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us and I can't wait to connect with you next week.